the depths of all the mighty oceans. You may tell the distance to the farthest star, but the mighty love of God cannot be measured. Its dimensions are so high, so deep, so far. This love is mine, I cannot comprehend it. This love revealed through Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree he died for me, glorious mighty love this love is mine and someday I'll thank him face to face in glory where with all the ransomed at his feet I'll fall and through countless ages there I'll live rejoicing and sing forever at the wonder of it all. This love is mine, I cannot comprehend it. This love reveals through Christ my Lord divine. When on the tree, died for me. God's wondrous, glorious, mighty love, this love is mine. That's another song I really like. Thank you very much. This love is mine, and I cannot comprehend it. God says we should be thankful for his unspeakable love. Boys and girls ages four years old through the fourth grade, four years old through the fourth grade, you can head out to Children's Church. Four years old through the fourth grade. That's a lot of children, amen? Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, please, if you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, please. We want to get back to our study of the book of Ephesians. I had the privilege of preaching Palm Sunday messages and Easter Sunday messages the last two weeks. Our text today is going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Our text next Sunday night is actually going to be Ephesians 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, as far as the preaching goes, the message. And that'll be because it is Children's Night and Youth Night, and I want to especially bring a message for the children and the young people. It'll be for all the church, but the focus next Sunday night on the preaching time will be Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. This morning, I want to look at verse 4. You say, why aren't you preaching to the children today, then, in the Father's next Sunday night because the boys and girls, most of them just left, okay, and I want them to hear the message for the children 
And the dads, I want you to hear the message for dads and moms too, okay? So this morning we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I'd like to read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Let's all read together, please, out loud, verse 4. Would you please with me? And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you remember the, the main text or the main context, rather, the main message in which these verses are found? I, I hope that you do, because it's all about the subject of submitting. It actually goes back to chapter 5, verse 21, where he reads, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And the message there, and that introduces the message that goes all the way from verse 21 there all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9. So this whole message, this context here is about the subject of submitting, submitting one to another. And all of our relationships with others in our life, there are some times or some situations where there, is, there has to be mutual submission. We submit to each other, whether the person is basically below us or above us. Uh, in that relationship, it's still mutual submission. We saw, first of all, in chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, that the wife is to be in subjection to her husband. She's to be submissive to her husband, who is over her as her head. In uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, we saw that the husband, while he serves as his wife's loving leader, he also submits to her. How does he submit to her? Because he eagerly he eagerly meets every need that she has. It might take money, it might take time, it might take effort, it might take energy, it might take inconvenience, it doesn't matter. The question is, what does my wife need? How can I help her? And so therefore is a, a submission on the part of a husband. We'll see next Sunday night, the Lord willing, that in chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3, children are to submit themselves to their parents as they obey them and they honor them. Now we come to this fourth submitting person in this whole passage, and it's the father in chapter uh, 6, verse 4. And then as I mentioned next Sunday night, the Lord willing, we'll put the focus on submitting person number three. If a father does what God, uh, what God commands him to do as a father, uh, he is going to be submissive in some regard to his children. You see, I don't understand that. What, why would you say that a father is going to submit to his children? Because it's exactly the same principle as the husband submitting to his wife. He's the head of the wife. He's over the wife. She's to be in subjection to him. But he submits himself to her in the fact that he doesn't live a self-centered, selfish life. He cares about his wife. He wants to meet her needs. And so he submits his desires to her desires, his needs to her needs. And he becomes, therefore, a submissive, loving husband. The same thing is true, therefore, about a father in his relationship with his children. Children, you obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, you honor your father and your mother. That's what's right. That's what God says. But then God turns around and says, and you fathers, now you also be in subjection to your children, so to speak. You submit to your children. Why? Because you want to be careful that you do not provoke them to wrath, lest they become discouraged lest they become angry because of your provocation. And I want to say right here in the introduction of the message, this does not mean that the mother's not in the picture. So moms, don't go to sleep. 
Don't say, hey, this is for dads, this is for husbands. There's, there's a McDonald's a mile away. I think I smell the coffee right now. No, no, this is not burger and coffee time. This is not sleep time. And I'll tell you why. Because the same Greek word for fathers here is translated parents in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. There's one, one thing to prove that. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, that chapter of faith, we read these words, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his, what's the next word? Parents. He was hid three months of his parents. Because they saw that he was a proper child, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, if you go back and read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you're going to read there that his mother did all this. His mother did what we read about in Hebrews 11. His mom did that. says that very clearly. And yet the writer of Hebrews, writing under divine inspiration, said that Moses was hid three months of his parents. And that word parents there is the same Greek word for the word fathers here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 1, that children are to obey their parents. They're to honor their parents. And so uh, he says, children, obey your parents, plural, not just your father. Obey your parents in the Lord. And he says, honor your, he doesn't just say honor your dad. He says, he says honor your father and your mother. So you have verses 6, uh, verses 1 and 2, children obeying and honoring both dad and mom. Doesn't it make sense that the very next verse, God says, and fathers, but including mothers too. You're not, you're not out of this. Parents, you make sure you don't provoke your children to wrath. It's a good, good, makes good sense, does it not? That, by the way, when you think of rearing children, uh, is, this, is this for fathers, yes or no? Just for fathers? <laughs> when you think of rearing children, do mothers get involved in rearing children? Now, I know what you moms are thinking. Yeah, we do most of it. Dad's going to say, no, you really don't. Yeah, we do. And you're going to go back and forth in this thing. But you and I know when it comes to teaching children, disciplining children, rearing children, it's, it's, a, it's a mom and dad deal. You're in this thing together. And I think that in the scriptures, you're going to see this is true. But in this particular passage, God does seem to put the focus on the father. Remember, by the way, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. It's not the end of the verse. And forsake not the law of thy father. Mother, my son, hear the instruction of, of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. I believe that God, I personally believe that God directs the message here to fathers and mothers, but especially he puts the focus on the father for a couple of reasons. First of all, the father is the governmental head of the family, not the mother. He addresses the exhortation to the fathers because really the father in scripture, the father is the head of the home. The father, the husband is the head of the wife and the husband as a father then is also not just the head of the wife. He's really the head of the family. He's the governmental head of the family. God puts the focus on the fathers here. He addresses the exhortation here to the fathers because I hope you know this. It is the responsibility primarily of the father to instruct and discipline the children. Not the only one, but, the, but he's the primary one. 
Now, he may delegate that to his wife, whether it's the discipline part, or the instruction part, or both. He may, get, he may get help from others. He gets help from Sunday school teachers. He gets help from truth tracker leaders and tiny tracker leaders. He gets help with, from, from Bible school uh, teachers and leaders. He gets help from, from counselors and preachers at camp. I mean, sometimes he, get, he can get help from young people who are in a Christian school and have Christian teachers to, to help. But it, when, it's, when it's all said and done... Yeah, it is the wife who's involved. It is the mother who's involved. There are others involved. But God still says the ultimate responsibility for the spiritual direction of the family does rest on the father. And I'm going to direct my messages this morning and tonight primarily to fathers. But again, I want the mothers to remember this is for you too. And there will be times I'll say they both. There'll be times I'll say fathers and mothers. But most of the time, if I do any singling out, I will put the focus where God puts it, on the Father. Why will I do that? Because number one, God addresses his message here to the fathers. That's the main reason I do that. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But you fathers, you bring them up in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. So I have to put the focus there because God does. Along with that, I think there's a temptation, there might be a temptation of some fathers here today if we make it equal here and say, no, this is parents, same Greek word parents, and go these other things. I've already mentioned to you because that's fair to do that. I don't want some father to say, well, you know what? This is kind of a team deal. That's the most important part of the message, I think. And, honey, you're doing a great job. You just keep it up. I just delegate it all to you. You know, I got other things to do. Yeah, like what? Well, you know, you remember that introductory part of the message. You know, it's like, okay, it's not just for fathers. So, you know, the focus is not on you. No, the focus is not on the wife. The focus is on you, the father. But your wife shares in what you're doing. So I don't want to give you men. I don't want to give any man to say, I'm out of this thing. Good, thank you, pastor. I really love your preaching. That's not where we are, okay? In this verse, God gives to the father two main responsibilities. And really, it sums up the job description of a father. This morning, we want to look at just this first part. And you fathers, provoke not your children. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Tonight, the Lord willing, we'll look at the rest of the verse. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does the word provoke mean? The word provoke means literally to exasperate. You say, I don't even know what that means, okay? Pastor, you're supposed to make it easier, not harder. To provoke means to exasperate. It basically means to irritate or to stir up. Does that help you some? Are we getting down now? Your words you kind of like to hear? Do not irritate your children. Do not stir up your children to be discouraged or to be angry or to be frustrated. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. I put it this way. Do not irritate your child to the point where he becomes inwardly angry. And usually when he becomes inwardly angry, you're going to see it outwardly also. But it's, in, it's that inward feeling of resentment. It's that inner anger there, that irritation, that being stirred up on the inside. And by the way, you know why this, amongst other reasons, you know why this is so important? Because when a father provokes his child to wrath, the child's determination and the child's desire to both honor and obey the parents, it goes down and sometimes it even disappears. God says children are to obey their parents. God says children are to honor their parents. That's God's responsibility for, for children as we will preach on the Lord willing next Sunday night. But a father doesn't help a child do that. 
when he provokes his child to anger, whether he realizes it or not, because when a child becomes angry, he loses his desire and he loses his determination to honor and obey his parents. And I wonder, perhaps, is it possible, though, that God in this passage, that he directs his message here primarily to fathers, because the fathers tend to be more impatient than the mother. The father tends to be a little bit more harsh quickly than the mother. If fathers fail, they can fail easily in not being patient enough, understanding enough, firm enough. No, not usually. It's part of that. It's not being patient enough, not being understanding enough, not, not being long-suffering enough. But on the other hand, along with that, sometimes they get quickly impatient and they get really harsh. And if they're not careful, their being harsh is also combined with being angry. The mother, on the other hand, if she has a weakness, it tends to be that maybe she's a little too soft. She's a little bit too loving. <laughs> she's a little bit too forgiving. She's a little bit too lenient. You can, you can talk your mom out of things you know you can't talk your dad out of. Hey, I found that out in high school one night. Really, It was one of the saddest nights of my life. I wanted to, wanted to go to my girlfriend's house after church one Sunday night. Talk to my dad first. And he was not in favor. He, he didn't really want me to do it, but he wouldn't say you can't do it. But he made it pretty plain that, you know, I, I really shouldn't do that. And then I went to my mom, and she said, well, if it, it's okay with dad, you know, that it's okay with me, you know. And, and, and so, you know, I ended up going. And it really, really hurt my mom's feelings because she had planned to go and see some friend whose husband or, ma or wife or somebody had passed away and it, it just destroyed their plans. But, you know, I, I knew I could get permission if I talked to my mom, but no, I, I wasn't going to work with my dad, you know. And my mom, my, my dad was, you know, pretty firm. No, you really, you really, I, I don't think it's best. I really don't want you to go, but you can go talk to your mom. She, Boy, I quickly go to mom. You know, she said, hey, it's fine. That's, that's the night, by the way, that my mother got so upset that uh, she started crying. And she ran over to the kitchen sink and she grabbed a dishpan and started shaking it and crying. And I thought, Larry, you are an absolute fool. What a jerk. And it took that to make me realize, you know, you know, just because dad, I, I may be afraid of my dad, like, that doesn't mean I just go to my mom and she's real soft and this will work. And then I realize it caused a problem. So sometimes moms have that tendency. And I think sometimes children jump on that thing. But God does direct it here to the father when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Remember what God says back in chapter 5, verses 25 to 23, after God says to, in, uh, from 21 to 22 there, he says about wives being subject to your husband. God says to, the hus God says, uh, God says to the husband, now listen, now listen. You make it easy for your wife to submit to you because you don't act like King Kong. You don't act like you're in charge of everything and she's a nothing because she's supposed to be in subjection. You don't beat her into subjection. You don't force her into subjection. You make it easier for her to be submissive by loving her even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now God says to the fathers, hey, listen, Father, your child is to honor you. Your child is to obey you. But you know what? You can make it easy for your son. You can make it easy for your daughter because you don't provoke him to wrath. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And you fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be. Do you know the next word in Colossians? And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. 
the word discourages her. Parallel passage in Colossians. Do not provoke your children to wrath lest they be discouraged. You know what discouraged means? Spiritless or without heart. Disheartened. It's possible that there is a parent year in church today where you've noticed that your son has lost his spirit, so to speak. He's gotten discouraged. He's disheartened. Is it possible because you have provoked him to anger, either knowing it or not knowing it? So God says, your fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians, he says, provoke not your children to anger, same word, but he says, lest they be discouraged. So the rest of the message this morning, I want to ask the question, how can fathers, mothers too, don't forget mothers, don't, don't tune me out, but how can fathers provoke their children to become spiritist, spiritless? How can a father provoke his children to become disheartened, to be discouraged, or to be angry? And I want to share with you some practical things that I've learned from my reading, things that I've learned in being a dad of two children, things that I learned as a youth pastor in church working with youth groups, large youth groups, a lot of teenagers, things that I've learned in, in being a pastor and working with families. So things that I've said to say, some things that I've done myself and feel badly about, and some things I've read about and some things that I've seen others do that I'm thinking, you know what, the problem is there, the father is provoking his children to wrath, he's provoking them to anger. By the way, you remember back uh, sometime when I was preaching on husbands here, I gave out this, this I mentioned this alphabet of love, remember that? 26 things that a, a, a husband can do to show his love. I can't tell you how many men in our church said, Pastor, that helped me more than about anything you can imagine. And I had some wives who would come say, thank you, Pastor, my husband really needed that and, and I appreciate it. he does too I, I, I will put that list out. I should I do I haven't I, I should put it next Sunday it'll be here I've already talked to Carrie we'll have it out on the ushers table. and by the way we have an alphabet of love for the wives too 26 ways that a wife can show her love for her husband so we'll put that out there too okay but that but but I know that 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 message was a help to the husbands I know the message before was a husband was a help to the wife and today and whatever time we have left I want to just shovel out I don't have time to go into details on them but I want to give out it's not an alphabet there's not 26 things okay but I want to give you some things today especially now how can you keep from from angering your son or daughter and don't even try to write them all down because I'm going fast but I will put my notes out on the table next week, or at least I'll put out these things, okay? So what are some ways that fathers can provoke their children to wrath? Number one, they make unreasonable demands. Unreasonable demands. Now, by the way, a child that has a wrong attitude, he's going to think most of the demands of dad are unreasonable. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll save that part for the short and young people, but your part, Dad, is to make sure that whatever demands that you give, they need to be reasonable. A father can really blow it here by making unreasonable demands. He needs the mind of the Lord regarding the demands that he makes upon his children. Number two, they have petty rules or too many rules. Now, again, I know what short and young people say. Yeah, are you listening, Dad? Because they think they always think there's too many. I mean, two's too many, you know. Too many rules, too many policies, too many regulations, too many guidelines. No, but it is possible that a well-meaning, godly dad can have too many rules, too petty rules. So what do you do? Keep the list as short as you can. But I'm not finished. Enforce every rule to the hilt. 
I think that, and I'm not bragging here, I think that's one of the things that really helped me greatly as a youth pastor. Youth pastor with a lot of teenagers, big youth groups. Could you have a lot of rules? You could have more rules than you could imagine. Every teenager in those churches where I was youth pastor knew one thing. Pastor Carsey does not have a long list of rules. He keeps it really short. But if we break a rule, we pay a dear price, and he doesn't play favorites. That's a good thing for parents to remember. Keep the list of rules as short as you possibly can. Add to it when you need to. But remember, please, put the focus on the most important things. And then whatever rules you do have, whatever commands you give, you better back them up. You better enforce them. Number three, you want to make your children angry? Don't make it plain what the rules and boundaries are. That's a good way to anger your children. And, and that's when you probably would not even be thinking about you don't often see this happening, but a child doesn't even know sometimes what's right or wrong. Why? Because the parents haven't made it plain enough. What are the rules? What are the boundaries? A college girl told her pastor, I never knew how far I could go with just about anything. My parents didn't care enough about me to set boundaries and punish me when I crossed them. After a while, I figured it wasn't important to me. Uh, it wasn't important to them, so why should it be important to me? I will tell you this. Listen, moms and dads. Children really do appreciate rules. They really do appreciate boundaries. It is helpful for children and young people to know how far can I go with this thing and what happens if I step across the line. And one way that parents, especially fathers, can irritate, can discourage, can make their children angry is the fact that they really haven't made it plain what's right, what's wrong. How do you know the difference? What happens when you do right and what happens when you do wrong? Number four, the announcement of the procedure or the announcement of the policy or the announcement of the rule was not made right. Sometimes it's, 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 it's just as important as the rule is how do you announce the rule? I put it this way. Show your love for your child. Show your love for your trust in how you even make the announcement. Don't sound, don't sound threatening. Don't sound like, you know, I don't trust you. I know what a rebel you are. And I know it's not going to be long before you break this rule. So I want you to know right up front that I will be watching you. And when you break it, you're in big trouble. Now that really encourages a young person, doesn't it? It just really makes a child want to obey. It's like, my dad doesn't trust me before I start. My dad thinks I'm a rebel. My dad believes it won't be long. I'm going to break this rule. My dad's, my dad's already convinced that, my, that I'm going to break this rule because I'm a bad person. And when he does, he will be watching. When he does, he's going to get some kind of joy out of catching me because he really likes to whip me, you know. That's not the plan. How you announce the rule, the procedure, the policy is very, very important. Number five. They restrict and punish everyone for the wrongs of just one or sometimes Two, whatever. Uh, don't do that. Don't, don't punish two children because one's bad. If you've got six kids and two of them have done wrong, then punish the two. Let the other four go out and play and have a good time. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? I think you do. I remember when I, when I became a youth pastor at a church in Kansas City. When I would look out the window of my office, I would see... 
a corner of the school building, and the children would, come, would be coming out of their class going out to recess time. And I can't tell you how many times I sat in my office and I just wanted to cry. Who would you want to cry for? I wanted to cry for all the good kids. So what are you talking about? Because I would see these children, and they had, they had rules, and I'm glad for the rules. When you go from classroom to out to the playground, you all walk in a single file line, and, and you, don't, you don't talk. It's real quiet. Now, sometimes I thought maybe they took it too far, you know, like I'd come and I just had to be out there and say, and they'd come walk by and say, well, hi. And somebody would say, hi, pastor, you know, and they say, be quiet. I said, man, that kid got, just about got whipped for saying hi to the youth pastor, you know. I thought, whoa, I, you know. So I, I wondered about this. I kept my mouth shut. But I'd look out there, and I would see these kids. They were so excited, man. It was, you know, listen, every kid's the favorite, the favorite class is recess time, right? Second favorite time is lunch. These kids, man, are in these rooms that can't talk, can't whisper, can't do this and all these things, you know, unless you raise your hand. And I'm, that's fine. Keep all that kind of stuff. So now it's time, it's time, and they're heading out to recess, and they're walking by my office. And one of the stopping points in that walk was right in front of my office, right there when they turned the corner. I cannot tell you how many times the teacher would say, I'm sorry, boys and girls. So-and-so was talking. We're going to have to stand here for five minutes. And I'd watch a class of 25 students stand there in total silence for five minutes for one person who talked. And I thought, if I was in charge of that class, I would not be doing that. Because you know, I'm, a, I'm a guy, you know, I want to go out to recess time and play ball. I don't want to stand there for four minutes or four and a half minutes, five minutes, can't do anything because some girl or some other guy talked, you know. And parents, you know, you think about that. Think about that. Don't punish two or more because of one bad one. Punish the bad one. Number six. Fathers sometimes are quick to notice and tell the child about every imperfection, every wrongdoing they see. But they rarely, if ever, seem to notice when a child does something that's good or right. Too much criticizing. Too much correcting. Not enough complimenting, praising, or thanking. I'm trying not to get hung up and stop on any one of these. I'm, not, I'm trying not to emphasize anyone more than the rest of them. But I'm telling you, this is a big one. This is really a big one. Many times, fathers are quick to notice every imperfection, everything the child does that's wrong, every weakness, every problem. But it, they, from the child's standpoint, they never notice when I do anything good. They're never noticed when I do anything right. Should I change that? Well, good's okay, but they never notice when I do anything well, when I do something right. My dad never says or rarely says thank you. My dad hardly ever says, that was a good job. My dad rarely ever says, I'm, I'm really proud of you, honey. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, you know, those things, I don't hear those kind of things. All I hear is, well, you did it again, or why did you do this? And it's like, that, you know, it makes the child angry. Frustrates a child, discourages a child, makes a child, it makes a child lose heart. God says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Number seven, they compare their child with somebody else's child. And they child, they tell their child how he doesn't, he doesn't measure up favorably with somebody else. Sometimes it's your brother or sister. Don't, don't compare your, your child or your children with others in the family, brothers or sisters. And if you, you say, well, I can't help it. It's just, I mean, they're all, they're my family. I'm going to compare. Well, then you don't have to, you don't have to tell the child where, where they're bad or where they're weak or why your sister does this better than you or how come your brothers, how come you can't be like your brother here and so forth. That, that doesn't help children. 
Don't compare your child with somebody else's child and make your child look bad. And don't compare your child with another brother or sister that he has and make him look bad. Number eight, they show favoritism toward another child. Well, we could stop on all these. We could give some Bible illustrations, Bible examples. Here's a special one. We surely could, okay? Try to treat your children all alike. Make your children know they're all loved equally. We all, we all do, the, we, we do the fun things together. We have the same rules. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody lives by the same policy all the time. You know, if you have a three-year-old, he may not have the same bedtime as somebody who's a junior in high school. Does that make sense? So you got to be careful. That, that could be no, I purposely left that one off, okay? But don't be so concerned about the age and all. This, but, you know, you don't want to treat your, your high school junior like, like she's in the second grade because you got a second grade brother here, you know? So, no, I understand that. But I'm just talking about showing favorites. Don't, don't play favorites. Number nine. They correct or criticize the child publicly in front of others. That is so important. You need to correct the child when he's wrong. And if necessary, you need to discipline your child. But try as much as possible not to embarrass your son, not to embarrass your daughter. Try to avoid, if you possibly can, criticizing or correcting, pointing out some flaw Breaking some rule, try as much as possible to make sure that that's done privately. You don't do that in front of others. That really, really, really irritates children, and especially it really irritates, it embarrasses, and it irritates, and it makes young people mad. Number 10, they don't keep the promises they make. And that's not just the only bad part. The, promise, the problem then is, is multiplied by the fact that when they break the promise and the child says something about it, then what do they do? They make an excuse why they couldn't do that. Well, I, was, I'm, I, really, I wanted to do that. I planned to do that. Just, I, I couldn't do it because this happened. And listen, any child who's got a right heart and a right brain can say that's going to happen sometimes. Amen? That's just the way it is. Things change. But then a week later, when the father breaks another promise and the son's disappointed, he says to him, but dad, you promised that. He said, I don't understand, but you know, I just couldn't do that because this came up and that's more important. You know, after that happens three, four, five, six, ten times, you know what the child says? I'm not important to dad. Not as important as his friends. Not as important as his job. Not as important as his hobby. You know, I guess, you know, I'm not that big of a deal around here. No, 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 dad, you got you to you keep your promises. Number 11. They don't take seriously the things that their children think are important. And sometimes even the dad makes light of those things. Well, my son's always talking about this. You know why? Because it's important to him. My daughter's been crying about this because it's important. And the dad says, well, I think it's stupid. Anybody cry over that's really got a problem, you know? No, it's important to her. So whatever the topic is, whatever the situation is, don't, don't leave the impression it's, it's not a big deal. It's not important. It's important to them. Take it seriously. Number 12. They're not considerate of the child's time, schedule, plans, etc. You say, what are you talking about? Listen carefully. They are not considerate of the child's time, the schedule, their plans, etc. It doesn't mean that the child runs the home. Just a couple of points you remember to think about. A parent gets his children late to things when the child wants to be there on time. He wants to be there on time. And sometimes he knows he's supposed to be there on time. But he's late again. He's embarrassed again. 
He missed out on the very first part that was really important, that was really fun, that he was really looking forward to. And you know why he's late again? Because dad, mom, they never can get me there on time. And when the dad or mother operates like that, it's like the child says, my dad can't figure out why this is important to me. He can't help me do what I'm supposed to do. I'm late again because of dad. I'm late again because of mom. Oh, parents oftentimes choose the wrong time to have a never-ending conversation with their son or daughter. You say, what's that all about? Please don't look around the room. And husbands and wives and mothers and fathers is maybe not a good time. You'll be nudging each other. But, you know, I, I know for a fact that there are teenagers especially who can get really frustrated and then irritated and then angry when over a period of time, it's like dad wants to talk to me about this, but when he starts talking, he's never done. It's got to be an hour-long conversation. Mom, my mom is so sweet, she's so loving, she really cares, and she wants to take time to talk to me, but she doesn't understand that, you know, I've got 50 minutes and I, I need to be doing this, but my mom, when she starts to talk, it ain't going to be no 50-minute talk, it's going to take a day and a half. You understand me exaggerating? You know what I'm saying, though? I, I've seen this, oh, by the way, sometimes, sometimes, and, and this is hard for me to say, family devotions can be too long. I've, I'm for families having Bible reading and prayer together, but don't pray for every missionary in the universe. And don't read three chapters and expound on every verse. Sometimes you keep things a little short. You know, it's like some parents, they, they mean well, but they just, in conversations or even in devotions, it's like, it's just on and on and on. There's no end. I've seen young people, and listen, trust me, in my many years of being a youth pastor, especially with teenagers, and even as a pastor with teenagers to children, I've seen parents, and I don't even like mentioning this because I don't, want to, I don't want to stop a good thing when it's good. But I've seen teenagers get frustrated, irritated, and angry when week after week after week, they're still at church an hour after church is over, hour and a half. Everybody else is gone. They're at the restaurants. They're home doing whatever, and we're out here sitting on a table, sitting out in a chair out here while mom's talking so-and-so again. Dad's talking so-and-so again. Now, listen, parents, I don't want you to head out as soon as church is done. I don't, I don't want you to be the first person out the door. But be careful that you're not always the last person out the door while your son or your daughter is sitting there saying, can't we go home sometime? It's past my bedtime. You know what I'm saying, folks? Are you with me? Understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we have to be careful about some of these simple things. Number 13, they rebuke and even punish the child for things that the child knows. Are you listening? That dad does himself. You want to frustrate your children? You want to irritate your children? You want to make your son or your daughter angry? Then you be real strong on and you punish them for something that you tell them is wrong while they know that you do that yourself. You say, well, they're just a child. If it's right or wrong, if it's a matter of sin and that kind of thing, then it's like if it's wrong for some, it's wrong for dad. You can't be telling your child they ought not watch a certain kind of TV programs because they're wicked, they're bad. And then when your child gets up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water, he sees you watching something that's worse than anything he's ever watched. That doesn't work. It makes children frustrated and angry. Don't, don't punish your children for things that you do yourself. Number 14, we're almost done. They're inconsistent in chastening and punishing their children. Sometimes the child is punished and sometimes he's not for the same wrongdoing. 
When he's punished, he gets angry. Why? Because his, his dad's inconsistent. It's not his wrongdoing that's the problem. It's the fact that it's like, I've done it many times and never got spanked. Or it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. A girl told her youth pastor, I either, get ang- excuse me, I either get away with murder or I get blamed for everything. I never know what to expect. And that really frustrates me. That's a teenage girl saying, I either get away with murder or I get blamed for everything. I never know what to expect. That frustrates me. Number 15, the punishment given the child does not match the infraction. Whatever is the problem that needs correction, needs discipline, try your best to make sure that the punishment goes in line with the crime, okay? A teenage boy told Dr. Dr. Wearsby mentioned this in his book. A teenage boy told Dr. Wearsby regarding his father's discipline and punishments. You know what he said? He said, my dad would use a cannon to kill a mosquito. <laughs> Can you imagine? Dr. Wearsby there counseling some high school boy, and his boy says, my dad, my dad would use a cannon to kill a mosquito. What he was saying was, for a little bitty petty things, man, I just about lost my life last night, Okay. Don't anger your children. Make sure the punishment matches the crime. Number 16, they punish their child in anger and not in love. And when you punish your child because you are mad and they know it, they sense that. And their love for you, it, it, it drifts down. In other words, they, they, they begin, to, as they get older, they begin to justify their own anger by the fact that their dad's mad too. So it's all right for me to be angry because my dad is really angry right now. I'm not saying that a father and mother should never have some anger when they have to discipline. That's just the way it is, and that has to be. But your child should know that you are disciplining because of love, not because you're angry. Dr. Albert Barnes said this, There is no principle of parental government that is more important than that a father should command his own temper when he inflicts punishment. And finally today, number 17, and you should know this, this is obvious. Physical punishment or verbal rebuke should never cross the line about what is reasonable and right and fair and become abuse. A child gets angry really fast when verbal correction or physical correction crosses the line. And it's really not loving rebuke. It's not spanking with love. It's abuse. So where do, we, where do I want to end this morning? I want to end right here, okay? Would you look back at chapter 5, verse 18? I spent more time with practical application today than I usually do. If, you, if, you, if you're here regularly when I preach, you know my messages are usually filled with looking at Bible verses and going through a passage. I, I've, I've chosen not to do that this morning. One phrase. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And that parallel passage in Colossians, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And to take time to help our fathers and our mothers, I pray. Get some application. How can I work that out in my life? But I do want to end by going back to Ephesians 5.18, because this is where this whole passage really began. And be not drunk with wine, we're in a success but be filled with the Spirit. What are the results of being filled with the Spirit? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Giving thanks, verse 20, 19, speaking to yourselves 
verse 20, giving thanks. Verse 21, submitting. And that whole passage we talked about earlier, what are we saying? Listen, it takes the fullness of the spirit, does it not, fathers, to be a good father. And to think about that precious son you have, or that precious daughter, those children. And how can you be a godly, good, successful father, but make sure that you do not anger them, you do not irritate them, you do not uh, cause them to be dispirited, to lose heart. How do I do that? You know what God is saying here? you got to be filled with the Spirit. It takes the fullness of God's Spirit to do this. And fathers and mothers too, I would say, bow your head and say, Heavenly Father, help me. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. I want to obey your word for your glory. I need your wisdom to see how I can do this. Would you help me, please? Because that's what it's going to take, the control of God's spirit. Let's bow our heads, please. A different type of message, as you know, that I normally preach. But I do want our fathers and our mothers to see how this works. Put it in life every day, practice. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Here's a clear command for fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath. Help us to see how quickly, how easily we can do that if we're not careful. And would you take control of us that our children might be what you want them to be. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me please this morning?